0: Hi, I'm Carla Wainwright, and I'm Little Leah, and welcome to the Radical Sex Witches podcast, where we explore the themes of sexuality, feminism, consciousness, love, healing, ritual, magic, and all things witchy and wonderful.
1: Hello, all you bombshell babes, and welcome to another edition of the Radical Sex Witches. I'm Little Leah, and with me as always is a bombshell babe herself, Carla Wainwright. What's up, Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, things are good. Are you Fat Albert? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, hey, I hey, don't hey. know. <laughs> that's right.
0: I did watch that as a kid, though.
1: I did, too. <laughs> so this episode is airing. We're almost, almost hitting December. Like, where yeah, is crazy. this year gone already? And, you know, maybe that's something we do as we close out our year is look back at all the crazy shit we talked about. <laughs> You yeah, can't I agree. hear you, nod your head. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah,
0: agreed. Yes. Yes, we <laughs> should do that, Leah. As I nod my head.
1: <laughs> so we've actually shared quite about a witches with you through history on this show. But there's also some incredible stories about more modern day witches that are really worth exploring. So today we want to introduce you to the Night Witches. They were an all-female squadron of Russian bomber pilots who round thousands of daring bombing raids with little more than wooden planes and the cover of night. It's really an incredible story about a group of courageous and skilled female aviators who left an indelible mark on history during the 1940s. Yeah, it is an amazing story. So, you know, I
0: I'm always researching, looking for topics for the podcast. So, I was looking up things on modern witches, and then something popped up um, on the History Channel about the Night Witches, and I just started reading about it. And I was like, Oh my god, we we need to let we need to let our listeners know about this story because it's pretty amazing. And I hadn't heard about it. And um, yeah, I just think it's such a a wild story, and we'd love to share it. So, we're going to start with a bit of background. And um, so in 1941, uh, Operation Barbarossa, that was launched by, the Nazi, uh, by Nazi Germany in June of 1941. And it was the biggest invasion ever in history. And the Soviet Union was really taking all of that assault, mostly. And the German forces, they were very mechanized and well-trained, and they made really significant advances into Soviet territory. And they they captured large amounts of land, and they put the Soviet military on the defensive and these initial stages of the war were really devastating for the Soviets. So the German, you know, they had these blitzkrieg tactics, so they overwhelmed the Red Army. There were tons of casualties, and they lost a lot of key strategic territories. And the Soviet military, they weren't really well prepared for such a swift and powerful invasion, and it started to get really desperate for them. So as the war escalated, the Soviet leadership, including Joseph Stalin, recognized the urgent need to mobilize Every available resource, and that included manpower. Um and that, you know, there were traditional gender roles and societal norms that really limited any women's involvement in combat roles. But this started to shift under the pressure of the war. And so the harsh reality of the conflict forced Soviet leadership to consider the role of women in the military
1: and I hope I say her na- her name right? Marina Raskova. She was a mm-hmm. celebrated Soviet aviator and the first female navigator in the Soviet Air Force. And she played a pivotal role in advancing for the inclusion of women in combat. Uh, Raskova was well known for her achievements in aviation and held several world records in long distance nonstop flights. And she was often referred to as the Russian Amelia Earhart for her achievements. That's pretty crazy. Um, When the Germans invaded in 1941, young women began writing her letters asking how they could best serve their country using their flight skills. Uh, Raskova used her influence to persuade Stalin to allow women to serve in combat roles, arguing that they could make valuable contributions to the war effort. Stalin was apparently quick to approve the initiative, less from a defensive perspective, but more that he had an interest in women's tremendous, in, in quotation marks, tremendous international propaganda value. What does that mean? I think he just
0: really recognized that, um, yeah, that that, you know, seeing, using women in this way had value in probably, you know, as that was a communist country at that time of just really the propaganda around that so it wasn't he was seeing it more as like oh we can use this for propaganda more than you know him at the time thinking that these women would contribute in any way mm. in an important way to uh to the defense of the country
1: yeah and then in 19 or so in September of 1941 the soviet government issued an order to form three all-star Three all female air regiments. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) It became all stars, but not quite yet. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So there was a recruitment drive, which targeted women who had a background in aviation or just showed a keen interest and aptitude for flying. And the process was selective. They were really looking for women um, who had a passion, obviously, for aviation, but really also had a strong commitment to the war effort. And the backgrounds of the women who joined the regiments were pretty diverse. They included experienced pilots, navigators, but, but even women who had not been previously direct, uh, involved in aviation, but had a, you know, demonstrated a willingness to learn. And like a lot of these women were in their late teens uh, and, you know, others in their 20s or 30s. And the common thread among them was the sense of patriotism and a desire to contribute to the defense of the Soviet Union in a time of crisis.
1: That's wild. That's very young, but I mean, not that. I mean, I'm sure that there were people of that men of that age that you know served in wars as well too. But women, they weren't on. Those oh, tablets. for sure, they I were mean, in the I medical think, you know, tents, if anything. That's right. That's right. So I think you
0: know, times have definitely changed. But I think you know, even first world War, second world war, there was a huge, uh, overwhelming patriotic sense to fight for your country, and I think mm-hmm. that that captured. Um, the intentions of a lot of young people but yeah. I, I don't know it's like as you listen to this story and i think about like teenage girls going and do this it's just like kind of blows my mind but no anyway.
1: way meanwhile like my mom would be like clean your room and i'd be like my life is the worst you know <laughs> so hard not let alone like i'm going to go fight for my country and you know become a night witch that's badass but anyways yep. i digress here let's talk a little bit about the training process at these women that were was both rigorous and intense uh they underwent a, a condensed and accelerated version of the standard military training that their male counterparts received well it's just because we learn quicker the training covered a range of skills including flight Flight navigation, night flying, precision bombing, and combat tactics. They also used a specific type of plane. Um, I'm going to mess this up. The Plo... How do you say that?
0: (laughs) I think it's the Polykarpov. The Polykarpov.
1: The the, the, the PO2 biplanes. We're just going to stick to that. The PO2 was a biplane originally designed for training purposes and crop dusting, and it was slow and outdated compared to the advanced warplanes of the time. So the PO2 was a two-seater biplane uh, made primarily of wood and fabric. Jesus. Plywood with canvas uh, pulled over it, and it offered virtually no protection from the elements. Oh, my God. I'm just, like, feeling this up in the air with these women right now. It had an open cockpit design and and fixed landing gear. Its top speed was relatively slow, cruising in at around at 94 miles per hour, which is 151 kilometers per hour. And these planes were described like, oh, my God, like a coffin with wings. Hey, ladies, sign up for your country and fly in this coffin with wings. (laughs) Wow. I don't know. I'm already, like, admiring these chicks a ton. (laughs) And because of the plane's limited uh, weight capacity and the military's limited funds, the female pilots also lacked other, in quotation marks, luxury items that their male counterparts enjoyed. So instead of parachutes, which were too heavy to carry... Uh, radar, guns, and radios. They were forced to use more rudimentary tools such as rulers, stopwatches, <laughs> flashlights, pencils, maps, and compasses. What about the fucking parachutes? They were know. just They're, up there with nothing?
0: That's a luxury item
1: oh my god uh training also focused on the unique challenges of flying at night and dropping bombs with precision in darkness the women had to become adept at navigating at night dropping um relying on compasses and celestial navigation
0: look to the stars before you bomb those people i know which is supremely witchy
1: um yeah i mean
0: yes so there was like a, a lot of uh I don't know if I would call it pushback, but there were a lot of people who were not very happy about women joining the the aviation force, and so I'm sure oh, yeah. that some of the reasons that they weren't given you know the proper supplies and things like that was just good old misogyny,
1: yay misogyny,
0: yeah, and you know so you you said earlier that you know it had virtually no protection from the elements, and a lot of them got frostbite, oh my God. Yeah, at night or in the winter, and because they had like no protection, basically at all.
1: Oh my god! Yeah, it's crazy,
0: crazy. So, of course, women turned this seemingly disadvantageous disadvantageous situation into an asset. So, oh yeah, and also to share that these planes—they're like shitty planes that were used as crop dusters,
1: <laughs> not no
0: military planes, no. But they used these. PO2s or PO2s, slow speed and maneuverability to conduct stealthy night missions. So what made it particularly special for the Night Witches was actually this plane's simplicity, its reliability and maneuverability. So it went at a slow speed and the ability to fly at low altitudes made it great for night missions. And they flew at these low altitudes to avoid detection by German radar. And the slow speed actually made it difficult for enemy fighters to intercept because um The the other planes went too fast. They weren't able to kind of like maneuver as well.
1: Well, it's kind of Um, cool.
0: Yeah. So they could maneuver faster than the enemy, making them hard to target. And they could also easily take off and land in most locations. Um, And so the slow speed and the ability to glide quietly without these big, powerful engines gave them the name, the nickname, the Night Witches from their German adversaries. So in German, it's like Die Nachthexen. So the Noctexan. Yeah, the Texan So Noct is night and hexen is witch. The plane's wooden construction also meant the Night Witches could operate in near silence when they cut their engines to approach the target stealthily. And then the whooshing sound created by the wooden propellers mm. as they descended to drop their bombs added to the mystique and the fear surrounding their nighttime raids. Oh, my God. That is cool as fuck. So the nightmare, which is, it was really meant as a derogatory term, but the women really adopted it from the 588. They adopted it with pride Uh, for them. It was a great name. So the Germans had two theories about why these women were so successful. Uh, (laughs) One, they were all criminals who were masters at stealing and had been sent to the front line as punishment. Well, I mean, that was their own propaganda. That's what they were just
1: doing. Oh, it was the propaganda. Okay. And then the second
0: uh, theory that they had is that they'd been g- been given special injections that allowed them to see in the night like cats.
1: I don't know. The I'm kind of like siding with this propaganda here. It's <laughs> pretty good, like to put fear in the hearts of men. You know, like here come yeah. the night witches with their crop dusters. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so the Night Witch's planes could only carry two bombs at a time, one under each wing. Uh, the regiment sent out up to 42-person crews at night. That's fucking insane. And each one would execute between 8 and 18 missions a night, flying back to rearm between runs. The okay, planes just,
0: just, just, sorry. That's crazy. That is fucking crazy. Imagine just the adrenaline of, like, doing between 8 and 18 missions a night like that. I can't even. And how
1: many nights in a row were they doing this? And there's 40 of them that went like 40 planes. So there's 80 women in the air. Mm -hmm. I love these bitches. (laughs) I do. They're so badass. Uh, The planes, each with a pilot up front and a navigator in the back, traveled in packs. The first plane would go in as bait, attracting the German spotlights, which provided much needed illumination. Uh, The planes rarely had ammunition to defend themselves. Oh, of course not. And they would release a flare uh, to light up the intended target. The last plane would idle its engines and glide into darkness to the bombing area. Throughout the course of the war, the regiment flew more than 30,000 combat missions. Let me just say that again. 30,000 combat missions.
0: They also dropped...
1: What's that? In crop dusters. In crop dusters. Uh, They dropped over 3,000 tons of bombs and over 26,000 incendiary shells damaging or completely destroying 17 river crossings, nine railways, two railway stations, 26 warehouses, 12 fuel depots, 176 armored cars, 86 firing points, and 11 searchlights. In addition to the bombings, the units um, performed 155 supply drops of food and ammunition to the Soviet forces. How hidden is this in, like, history, I wonder, over in Russia? Like... Because I bet you they're I bet you they're not up there. You know, they're not people that are highly like and they fucking should be.
0: Yeah, well we'll get to a little bit of that at the end, but for a long time, no. Yeah, it was kind of obscured. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um Okay, so this was really interesting too. The night witches had a set a set of guidelines or principles that the female pilots of um the 588th ninth night bomber regiment, um uh, unofficially followed in their service in world war II, so there isn't really like a specific wording um and some of the information varies from different sources but but this is what it's thought to be the essence remains consistent so these are known as the 12 commandments of the night witches so the first one and probably the most important one which is so amazing be proud you were a woman
1: yeah Grab your vagina as you're flying through the sky, dropping those bombs. Feel the power. <laughs> She's laughing because I just sent her a meme not too long ago about vagina power and grabbing yourself. Um, Next one. Be sure to get a full night's sleep before a mission. Well, yeah, you don't want to be drowsy up there.
0: Nope. Always keep your aircraft in good order.
1: During the day, tell the men to do the repairs.
0: <laughs> you need to be sleeping, taking care of yourself.
1: Uh yeah, take
0: care of your health, comrade. In the air, the commander's word is law. Be decisive in the attack. Fight to the
1: last bit of your strength.
0: Do not trust non-flying men in uniform. <laughs>
1: I like that. Follow the words of your commanders and the political commissaries without question. If you don't receive an order, act on your own. Ooh, critical thinking. And then the last one, in achieving the aim, be cautious and prudent. hmm I kind of feel like some of this is pretty progressive for its time and for the gender. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. So their last flight took place on May 4th, 1945, when the Night Witches flew within 60 kilometers, which is approximately 37 miles for American listeners, of Berlin. Three days later, Germany officially surrendered. So over the course of the war, about 260 women served in the Night Witches, and they lost a total of 30 pilots. That's honestly not bad. That's Yeah. yeah. Considering what they were working I, on. I know. I know. I think that speaks to their skill. Big time. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, too, if, like, women and teamwork, if there's something mm-hmm. in there, too. Right? Yeah. So Raskov, the mother of the movement, died on January 4th, 1943, when she was finally sent to find a lost crew, but her plane never made it. Oh she was given the very first state funeral of world war ii and her ashes were buried in the kremlin but despite being the most highly decorated unit in the soviet air force during the war the night witches regiment was disbanded six months after the end of world war ii and when it came to the big victory day parade in moscow they weren't included because it was decided their planes were too slow y'all can suck a fuck suck it suck a fuck that's horrible They probably helped win this fucking war. Are you shitting me? Yeah.
0: I don't even have a comment. It's just, it's, it's. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. So after the war, the Night Witches were disbanded. They went back to civilian life. So some uh, continued their careers in aviation, many of them went on to have successful careers in other fields like education, engineering and medicine. And really, for a long time, the contributions of the Night Witches were not wildly recognized. And their story was really overshadowed by the, the broader narrative of World War II. And interest in their story really only began to impre- increase in the post Soviet era. And then more recently with books and documentaries, I think there was somebody like, not that long ago, who wrote a fictional story about a young Russian woman or Soviet woman who joined the Night Witches and kind of made a fictional story using using the historical information. And I think that kind of spurred a lot of interest Um more recently, because when I look at uh, the articles that have been written about the Night Witches, they're all within sort of the last few years. It's all pretty mm-hmm. recent.
1: Well, America's yeah. never going to make that film, but I would like to see more about them in a fictional I think- manner. I think it would, that's a be fucking badass. Yeah, <laughs> that's you know, how you probably, get your. That's how you get your female audience to jump on board with the war movies, right there. Totally. Um, I this makes would make a
0: phenomenal screenplay. I can't believe it actually hasn't been made as a movie yet. Yeah. Um, so really, to me, this is a story of inspiration of women who really embrace their identities and, you know, their own inner power. And I think they should rightly be celebrated as trailblazers who, you know, challenge gender norms in ways that I think we can't even really fully understand in our modern day, because it's just not the way life is now. And these women were just some serious bad bitches of history.
1: Mm hmm. Uh, when I, I've already made up the, uh, image that, you know, I'll be posting on our Instagram for this. And obviously I could not legally use a real picture of the night witches. Uh, but when I Googled them, like there are pictures out there of them and it's really, really cool. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if any of them are still alive. Like I would love to talk to one of them. That'd be wild. 1940, depending on how old they were, it depends. Well, I can't yeah. yeah. They'd,
0: well, they could be. I mean, my dad was born in 1935 and he's still around, mm-hmm. but, but, uh, those women would have already been, even if they're late teens. So they, they would be quite old. They would be like in their nineties or mm-hmm. hundred or so. I'm hoping there's
1: one still out there. I know. <laughs> I know. I have so many questions. I want to like deep dive and even further into this. Cause this is just like a scratching on the surface that we've, uh, given maybe about. this is
0: our next Halloween costume. We'll go as like the night witches
1: no one's gonna know who we are (laughs) they're gonna be like are you amelia Earhart?" (laughs) you're like fuck you don't you i can't go as a normal halloween costume. i I need to be terrifying and covered in blood at the very least maybe i could be a zombie (laughs) night night witch (laughs) back from the grave still flying my crop duster brains (laughs) (laughs) doing motorboats (laughs) <laughs> oh boy oh goodness well before we go completely bat shit off the rails the next time on the radical sex which is we are going back to the crazy and the incredible with facts from with sex in the animal kingdom it's gonna be called i was today years old the discovery channel if you think about the bad touch song from the bloodhound gang you and me baby and i'm little leah
0: (laughs) oh i can't sing
1: (laughs) (laughs) fuck a snort god damn it and i'm carla from the radical sex witches (laughs) and the audience is like we're never listening to you again (laughs) please come back (laughs) please come back we're gonna talk about animal sex and genitals next time (laughs) bye
0: All right, everyone, we are the Radical Sex Witches, and we will see you next time. Hello, witchy listener. It's Carla here. If you're feeling disconnected from pleasure and unfulfilled in life, reach out to me and let's connect on a free call. I love helping women like you shift to owning your sexual power, reconnecting to your body, and finding your unique Radical Sex Witch within. Go to carlowainwright.com or find my contact info in the show notes. Let's co-create a life for you that is truly turned on.